series on principles of peacemaking, Matthew chapter 18. want to read from verse 15 through verse 20. There's far more in this passage than I will be addressing this morning. Uh, it is really verse 15 that I'm primarily interested in. But we'll set it in its context. I invite you to look on in your own Bibles as I read, beginning at verse 15 of Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is God's word. Amen. Today we need to continue our study of peacemaking by opening up the subject of biblical confrontation. I did put those two in the same sentence. Peacemaking and biblical confrontation. That's counterintuitive to many. I'm, I'm speaking this morning about the kind of confrontation, specifically, that takes place when you go and speak to someone who sinned against you and seek to make them aware of the offense that you've taken. Our text is going to be Matthew 18, verse 15. The confrontation that's spoken of there is found in this phrase, Go and tell him his fault. Now, the scenario that Jesus envisioned is something like this. You've been sinned against, but your brother has not come to you to confess the sin. Either he's unaware of the fact that he sinned against you, or he's simply unwilling to come in humility and confess his sin. Consequently, there's a strain in your relationship, perhaps even an open breach. Now, Jesus, as your Lord and Master, is giving to you a directive in Matthew 18, verse 15. You, in that scenario, must take things into your own hands. You may not have been the one to sin, but you are obligated to do something nonetheless if the one who has sinned is unwilling to do it. You're the one who's to take the initiative for restoring peace in the relationship. He's not doing it. Therefore, Jesus says it's your responsibility to do it. And he outlines how you should do it. You should go to him. And by that going, he means confronting him with his sin with a view to restoring peace. Now, let me warn you right at the outset. There is no one here this morning for whom this kind of confrontation comes naturally. Now, I'm very well aware that there are personality types that we might call 
non-confrontational and other personality types that we might call confrontational. Some of you say, uh, and with, with some accuracy, I'm just not the confrontational kind of person. That comes very difficult to me. And others of you might say, or might be said of you, I don't think they have any problem with confrontation. They work in the work world, for example, in a place in which they're called upon to deal in rather uh, confrontational ways with employees, for example. I, I want to say to you, biblical confrontation does not come easily to any of us. And I think that will become clear as we continue this morning. This going in humility and love with a desire to restore peace in a relationship, this is going to cut against everyone's grain who listens this morning. We need to ask several questions, three specifically this morning, and we'll seek to put a lot into answering each of those three. The first is this. When should I confront my brother in his sin rather than cover that sin? When should I confront rather than cover? Last week I pressed the point about covering sin. Many sins in the, on the part of our brothers and sisters call for us to do exactly nothing. We shouldn't think about it. We certainly shouldn't dwell upon it. In many cases, it should roll off our back like water off of a duck. It should be something, in biblical language, we quickly cover and move on. I spoke of that last week. But now I'm saying to you, with Jesus, that there are times when you have to confront your brother. You ask, Pastor, when do I do which of those two things? And I think there's a good answer. It comes in two parts. First of all, you should confront your brother in his sin when it represents a pattern that's damaging to him or to others. You should confront your brother in his sin when it's a pattern of sin that's damaging to him or to others. You see, there are times, many of them, as a matter of fact, when we are offended by a brother and it is an uncharacteristic offense. We know that they're not ordinarily like that. We know that that offense was, was contrary to the way our relationship normally proceeds. They're not like that, we may say. And we say that to ourselves as we very wisely and in a godly fashion cover the sin. We say, that's not like him. I'm just going to overlook that. But there are other times when we're offended by someone and we realize that's part of a larger pattern. He offends me that way. He offends other people that way. It's a sin problem in his life. It's something that he has fallen to repeatedly. We've come to recognize that it's damaging our relationship, or even if it's not damaging our relationship, it's damaging other relationships that person has. And ultimately it's damaging him, because to continue in sin is unhealthy for any brother. Now, brothers and sisters, let me stray for a moment from the more focused purpose of this series, which is reconciliation, to simply remind you of a biblical principle that any time you see a brother straying in the ways of righteousness, any time you see him falling into a pattern of sin, whether it affects you or not, whether it affects your relationship or not, that which is loving and what is required of you by the Lord Jesus is to speak to him, to go to him, 
to lovingly, graciously confront him. You cannot claim to love your brother without that kind of response to patterns of sin in his life. That's the whole biblical teaching that I can't open up in length this morning on godly admonition, reproof, rebuke. It's found Old Testament new. Here's one familiar passage that articulates it. Proverbs 27.5 Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The wise man is articulating this thought that when your brother is involved in some pattern of sin that damages his own soul, those who love him are responsible to go to him, to confront him in ways that we are going to be talking about in the next few minutes. How often is it the case among us that we having gotten to know each other in this congregation, become aware of certain problem areas in our brother and sister's life. We, we get used to it occasionally. It ruffles our feathers, but we, but we do nothing about it. And as a matter of fact, we just come to resign ourselves. That's the sin pattern of so-and-so. That's just the way he is. And sometimes we'll even talk about it with other people. Sometimes we'll even laugh about it. This is not right. You know what you would prefer, don't you? If you're at a, a dinner party, a, a fellowship meal of some kind, and, and you've got some food on your chin. It got there by some carelessness in your part. And early in the evening it happens, but you don't know it till you get home that evening. And you're undressing and catch sight of yourself in the mirror. And you think, I was doing that all night. And no one said anything? Well, that's, that's greatly embarrassing. It's kind of embarrassing if someone comes to you and says, got something right there. But you would rather that, wouldn't you? And you'd count that person, especially the one who does it graciously, as a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. How much more when we're talking about violating God's law and our brothers and sisters with patterns of sin we may not even know of or be aware of in ourselves. How much more so is it faithful for a friend to confront? You must confront your brother when his sin represents a pattern that's damaging to him or to others. Charles Bridges speaks, used this illustration some time ago, of one of the aides to Alexander the Great, one of the greatest uh, conquerors and kings the world has ever known. This particular aide uh, was supposed to give him wise counsel. And in some campaign or some decision, Alexander made a grievous mistake and called this man in and spoke to him about uh, his counsel. And before he dismissed him, finally and completely from his position, he said, Either thou hast not marked my error which is a proof of thy ignorance, or thou hast held thy peace, which is proof of thy unfaithfulness. And my friends, that is, the, that is the test of our faithfulness. Not holding our peace when a brother or sister is, is found in a pattern of sin. We also should confront, secondly, rather than cover, when you are simply unable to overlook the offense. 
You might begin by trying to. It's your full intention to get over it, to let it go, not think about it, not dwell on it, but you can't. Maybe you sinfully can't get over it, but in any case, you can't. It may be a small thing, but it's something that in your mind represents a larger issue. And you find yourself unable to let it go. You see it as representing a larger source of alienation with your brother. I want you to listen to me carefully. That, what goes on in your own heart, your inability to go past that, to remain unaffected in your relationship with that brother, is evidence, clear evidence, that the relationship will not be healed without your going to the brother. You're going to have to approach them. You don't have the option any longer of covering your sin. It is not an option. You may not pat yourself on the back and say, I'm being big about this and I'm, I'm covering over my brother's sin. But in fact, what you're doing is sealing off an infection and it's just going to abscess and get worse. This requires a, a careful and scrupulous honesty with ourselves. And that transition between trying to cover but becoming aware you need to confront. You need to be honest with yourself. Is my relationship with that person truly affected I feel distant. I feel uninterested in pursuing further intimacy with that person. I'm spending some time on this point of when to confront. Because there's a powerful tendency within all of us towards deciding in virtually every case that this isn't the time, this isn't the situation to confront. It's a powerful tendency in us to do that. What I'm describing this morning, what Jesus calls for, if your brother sins, go and tell him his fault. It's exceedingly rare. It's a very uncommon, even among Christian and mature Christian congregations. I spoke when we were looking at the subject of confessing our sin, remember? I spoke of the paralysis of pride. We just seem to be not able to get ourselves going in the direction of that brother to confess our sin because of the paralysis of pride. And here I could speak about the paralysis of fear. You need to go and tell so-and-so about what he's done that's wrong against you in particular. You have the fear of men. What's he going to say? How's it going to go? Am I going to look silly? This could go on and on. Maybe I'm not mature enough to do this. Maybe this should be an elder who goes. I'm not close enough to so-and-so to speak with him. You're close enough to see his sin, but not close enough to speak with him. So we often reason. Or I'm just not that kind of a person. Friends, I want you to notice again, Jesus doesn't leave any room for such excuses. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Baby Christian? Christian with lots of cheese slipping off as his toes morally and in a million other ways? Christian who's just been uh, added to the church? Christian who's got a lot of problems of his own, no matter who it is? Jesus is not allowing for any excuse. Those are the times when we should confront the pattern of sin in your brother, affecting him and others. Is it something you can't get over? It's affecting your relationship? You go. It's for you to go. 
second question this morning. How should I go about confronting my brother? I am not going to provide a, a script or some kind of choreographed method that um, will all end up down at Starbucks because we all had specific place and time and way to go about confronting. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to underscore these three things about how you should go about confronting your brother first. Remember what Jesus says in another place. And identify and confess your own sin first. Identify and confess your own sin first. Jesus says in another place, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We are like to think about that ho-ho, that log, speck. He's really saying, mind your own business, take the log out of your eye. Well, he's not quite saying that. He's not quite saying, mind your own business. He's saying, start there. And then you will be able to see clearly to help your brother with his sin, the speck in his eye. And so, you've had someone offend you. Rarely, does one brother sin against another in a complete vacuum? Very rarely. Usually, it's in the context of a larger relationship in which there is often sins that run both ways. So you've been offended and you see his sin. The first thing you must do, even as you come to the conclusion, I need to confront him. First thing you need to do is ask yourself, is there anything I need to confess to him as I go to confront him? Probably, more often than not, especially when it's an offense that's very personal, when you go, it'll need to be a double errand. Probably, more often than not, you'll need to go confessing your sin and confronting him with his sin. And mindful of the fact that you may have not gotten the whole log. When you go to confront, you need to go with a heart ready, open to being told this is where you have sinned. We are oftentimes, as we think about what so-and-so did to me, rather blind to what we have done to him. Don't be shocked if your mind is, is rightly absorbed with, how do I say this? He takes the occasion to point out something to you. Go ready to acknowledge that. Identify and confess your own sin first. Go secondly with a proper attitude and motive to your brother. It's not good enough. It is not good enough to go just to get it off your chest. That's not good enough. That's not the spirit or motive of your going. Paul tells the Galatian Christians, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You need to have the right spirit. Do you go really wanting to be reconciled? Well, you just, Matthew 18, 15, got to go. Are you just going with sort of a prophetic role? 
declaring God's Word. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him it's fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's the spirit of it. You're going to get him back. To gain him. You're going to seek peace. Now, there are a number of very helpful things that you can do to avoid messing it up as you go. Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, is very helpful in providing those. I recommend it highly. I've ordered a few extra copies for you. It's on the book stand. He says, for example, as you go and, and speak, use I statements instead of you statements. Avoid keeping him from being defensive. Don't exaggerate. Be careful not to exaggerate his fault. That also will keep him from being defensive. Be quick to listen to his response. You may not know all of what led up or involved with his sin or the incident. Brothers and sisters, I think those are very helpful. But I simply want to emphasize, you cannot, you don't need to fill your minds with rules about what words do I use and and how, what do I say first? And when do I stop and listen? And forget all that. If you've got the right spirit, the motive of going to get him back. It sounds trite, but as long as your heart is in the right place. That is the most vitally important thing about your going. How should you go? Confess your sin first. Go with the right attitude. And then to bring together three things that are found in our text or related texts. Go personally, privately, and prayerfully. That's the third thing. I sneaked in four and five into that third one. Go personally, privately, and prayerfully. Personally. Jesus says go. Now, if you can't go and see him, then don't say, I'm off the hook. Yes, you can write a letter. You can pick up the phone. But I rather think going is the best way. Go. Get in front of him face to face. That's what I refer to as Starbucks. Whatever, wherever you do, go. Speak to him one-on-one. -on -one. That's emphasized particularly in this passage because Jesus has a process in mind that there may be need for others later, but you go first privately. Don't be, make it your intention to shame him in front of others. Go privately and go prayerfully. Don't go without having thought about what you want to say and committing it to the Lord and going prepared as best you can be to answer what you can imagine might be his questions or his objections. Do give some thought to how best to identify his sin. If you're going to talk to him about his sin, then don't be vague in general. Go and say, it is my perception. I believe that I've seen this specifically. And these are illustrations of it. And commit it to the Lord in prayer. As I move on from this second point, how should I go to confront my brother? I want to, I want to emphasize something to you. It's a very real world and practical, but somehow escapes us. Don't expect that reconciliation will be found at the turn of a switch in that first meeting. Go prepared, recognizing that it may be a, a process. It may involve more than one encounter for some obvious reasons. Sometimes it takes a time for your brother to fully absorb what you're telling him. 
Sometimes it takes you a little bit more time to be clear with your brother what you truly mean. So don't go. Maybe get back in your car at the end of your confrontation with your brother and say, well, that's over with. I've done my duty. You need to ensure that you are well received. You need to ensure that you are understood. You need to continue to promote the relationship, not just fix a problem. Well, my third question, I want to turn things around a bit. I want to ask, how should you respond to your brother's confrontation of you? You've been listening to me this morning, as I've intended you to, thinking about how you're going to put this word in verse 15 into practice. And you've perhaps been preoccupied with all the discomfort of going to a brother. But there are others listening here as well. And perhaps one of them has come to the conclusion he needs to go to you. And when he does go, we'll get all different kinds of discomfort, won't there? He's coming to you and telling you that you've sinned. At least that is his impression. How should you respond? While we're talking about biblical confrontation, let me say simply these three things about your response. You immediately seek to suppress wounded pride. You get all over that in your own heart. You make that a godly reflex. Oh, he's talking about me and sin. I've got to watch myself. That I not start to have rise up in me resentment. Because he's talking to me about my sin. When someone comes and says something about your sin to you, the first thought that will come to your mind is, who are you? Who are you? And very quickly can come to your mind all the things that you know about that person that makes them as much a sinner and maybe more so than you are. Who are you to come to me? And with a little help of impugning of his motives, you're already at least naturally inclined to dismiss what he has to say. The answer, of course, to the question, who are you to come talk to me, is I'm, I'm just another sinful Christian, but Jesus has told me I've got to go to you if I see something. It's a pattern of sin in your life that's come between us. That's who he is. You recognize that, brother, sister. You recognize that. Otherwise, you will be in the position of the scoffer. The wise man speaks of Proverbs 9, verse 8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Wise man is saying, you go talk to this, uh, a man who's hard in his sin as a scoffer. He's just going to hate you more. Is that what you want to be? Well, certainly not. Secondly, you respond to your brother's confrontation by assuming at the outset that there is at least some truth to it. Carefully evaluate it. You know, I know, I know there are times when a brother will come and say something that's fantastic. It's from left field. You're innocent. as charged. You've been ignoring me at church lately. And as you think about that, you think, well, I've, got, I've got three sick kids right now. 
And the other two were not very sanctified. And I've been ignoring everyone at church. And really, really, I'm clear of my conscience. It's not the case. I've not been ignoring you. Not intentionally. Yes, that happens. That does happen, I realize. But brothers and sisters, more often than that, is at least a kernel of truth in what your brother is saying. Many times, he is dead on. He's got you. Not because he's sinless, not even because he's more godly than you are, but because you can't see your own nose. Well, not very well. And a lot of your sins are like your nose. You can't see it, but it's right out there where anybody else can see it. And he has the Spirit. The same Spirit indwelling you and sanctifying you. And that Spirit is opening his eyes to things like sin, not just in himself, but in others. And so you assume when someone comes to you, especially someone who's seeking to do it graciously and humbly, you assume there's at least some truth to it. Don't be quick to come to the conclusion it's, it's, all, it's all wet. And if you receive your brother's earnest attempts to confront you with sin, maybe even being polite and humble there in the moment, but then as he leaves, you say to yourself, sheesh, what's up with him? You're a fool. You are a fool. Proverbs again. The one that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And the opposite is clearly the case. He who does not listen to life-giving reproof will dwell among fools. He'll be one, in other words. You need to recognize that God doesn't just speak through His Word. He also speaks through His servants. His word alone is infallible. His servants, sometimes just the one sitting next to you in the pew who comes, can truly be applying a principle of God's word to you. And if you resist him, you resist God. You need to remember that. And lastly, how do you respond to biblical confrontation when it's directed at you? You confess your sins and seek to restore the relationship. It may be, I realize, that conviction could come in a moment and you should ask, even right there at Starbucks, please forgive me. I see it. I see it as clear as, as the nose on my face. I see it. Please forgive me. But it's more likely that you're going to need to think about it some. And you might need to tell the one who's come to you, I need to think about this and pray. And let me say to you, if someone has taken pains to come to you, there are a few ways, a few better ways to show him you've truly heard and appreciated what he said than you're going back to him after you've thought and prayed and sought to see as much as possible the truth of what he said and say to them, to that person, here's where I believe you are right. And I've become quite convinced that I was wrong. And I'm become quite sorry. And you go on from there to be reconciled. Of course, when I say take steps to restore the relationship, I'm referring to the fact that that's the whole goal. And I'm also referring to the fact that oftentimes, 
things are procedurally done correctly. One person goes, another person responds in a humble and gracious way, and formal reconciliation takes place. The relationship doesn't improve. The relationship stays more distant. It becomes an issue of discomfort, and, and there's a further withdrawing from each other. Formally, everything's been done right, but really, that which is pursued has been lost. This is like, this reconciliation is like the life of the patient on the operating table. And confrontation is like the surgery. And you can get all his parts back in his belly, get them all sewn up, but if he's dead, if he, if he dies on the table, you haven't accomplished what you sought. And that's the, that's the case. The biblical confrontation that does not, on both parts, issue into a pursuit of the relationship or restoring of the relationship. If you've been convinced of your sin, it especially is to you to demonstrate your desire to do just the opposite of those things in pursuing the relationship with your brother. These are things, the when to go, the how to confront, how to be confronted that we need desperately to bear in mind in order to be peacemakers as Jesus calls us to be. Let me quote one more time from Proverbs as I conclude. When you have the opportunity to go and confront, you bear this verse in mind, and when you are confronted with sin, you bear this verse in mind. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Your job is to confront. You think about the beauty of this. You think about the beauty of it. Brothers who love each other enough to go and speak to them even at great cost themselves and their own comfort. You're being spoken to, and the one in whom attention is being focused on your sin. You think about this. What a beautiful thing. That you're not swimming to heaven by yourself. But there are others who are seeking to help you to be as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. It's like, it's like apples of gold in a basket of silver. That's what this process we've been speaking of this morning is like. This morning we're going to come to the table, the Lord's Supper, the table that not only illustrates for us, but as a means of expressing our oneness, the peace within the body, the oneness that we have in Christ.